0: Kyoto Koto Katoa and welcome back to the Ordinary Saints podcast. My name is Sarah and I am here with Richard, who will say hi.
1: hallelujah That's that's what I'm going with at the moment. A, an appropriate seasonal greeting.
0: It really is, Uh, and on that note, we left you in our last podcast in Holy Week, so we figured it's quite a few weeks into Easter now, so it's about time we talked about Easter with you, and so it's lovely to be here with you all.
1: So yeah, it is the season of the Alleluia, by which I mean this is the season where traditionally we use that word quite a lot, and it is this extra kind of exclamation that gets added around the season of resurrection so it is a bit unusual and one of the interesting things is it's not hallelujah as popularized by the hallelujah chorus Uh, it is alleluia and the reason for that is because the hallelujah chorus was written by a person who is german and the germans like to add an h to alleluia so anyway you might not have known that but this is something i know and i have now shared it with you all
0: Yes, and also I'm just going to add a quirky comment here. I have synesthesia, so letters have colors, and hallelujah is more white-yellow for me. Um, So I prefer hallelujah to hallelujah.
1: Does hallelujah have a different color?
0: It does. Well, H is brown for me for synesthesia, so I feel like H is just the wrong vibe, you know? Hallelujah is very bright, and so yeah, it works for me. Um, hopefully it works for others. But yeah, I did find that out a few years ago because I, I know that it is quite confusing, the whole Alleluia hallelujah thing. But on another note with Alleluia, we can trace back a little bit and just talk about the fact that in Lent, uh, there's a tradition around not using the word Alleluia.
1: Yeah, not using it at all. Because even though it has special significance in the season of Easter that we're we're now in, we sort of add that exclamation to coming into the season by in the season before by completely excluding it because it still does get used at other times of the year but it's a word that has special resonance in the season of Easter.
0: That's right and I know that I've made this mistake a few times so you know taking night prayer or taking any kind of prayer uh, from the from the Anglican prayer book and accidentally saying alleluia and it's <laughs> these moments where, you know, you get like the side eye, and you just sort of keep going, right? Because once you've said it, you can't take it back.
1: No, it can fully catch people out. I I too have experienced this. And there are actually other parts of the liturgy that often we leave out in the season of Lent as well, Um, notably the Gloria. And again, it's that way of going, because Lent is this time of sort of inward reflection, we put some of those things aside so that, that when we reach Easter, we have things to celebrate with. We've fasted from certain words as well as all sorts of things, whatever it was you were fasting from in Lent.
0: Yes. So I think that for me, the experience of not saying Alleluia during Lent is actually quite powerful. And I'm going to compare it to a pretty pithy saying, which is true though, in that absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? I think that when I'm not saying it, I miss saying it. And then when Easter comes along, it's really special to be able to say it. And I know that in the most part, the first time I say it uh, in the church year is at the Great Easter Vigil. So maybe that's something we could talk about because we don't want to get stuck in Lent. We want to talk about Easter now.
1: Yeah, so in the last podcast, we went right through Holy Week in quite a lot of detail, but we sort of stopped right at that point of having talked quite a lot about Good Friday We then got to Holy Saturday, not Easter Saturday, that's the following Saturday, again, one of these weird technicalities, but Holy Saturday, which marks the beginning of Easter. And it begins with, again, not everyone's experience, but um, this was certainly the tradition when I was growing up, and lots of churches still do do it, although not all churches do it, of having this service on Saturday night. So that the idea is, as the sun goes down, the new day is actually beginning at that point, and we talked about that in the last podcast about how that comes out of Jewish thought, that the Sabbath begins on Friday night and then runs till sunset on Saturday. And this is picking up on that tradition, the idea that Easter Day begins with the sun going down on holy Saturday. And so we have this service to kind of mark that particular moment.
0: We do. And I really love this service. I, I think it's partly because I'm a bit of a night owl as well. So the 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 idea of having a big fire at nighttime is very exciting. And of course we'll talk about that fire in itself because the Great Easter Vigil is different from the Sunday morning Easter service in the sense that there is a a few different rituals that go along and one of those is the Easter fire. So this year I was at St Luke's Mount Albert and we started out in the courtyard and there was uh, a large fire that was lit and from that fire, there's a bunch of liturgy that's wrapped around that, and part of that is lighting the Paschal candle. Now, we're going to talk about the Paschal candle as well, aren't we, Richard, because that's quite important. Uh, but from once the Paschal candle is lit from the, from the Easter fire, then that Paschal candle goes on to light a whole bunch of candles that people are holding, uh, and then we process into the church to continue that service. And of course, we move from darkness to light gradually in this service and it's quite beautiful because as the service goes on the building that we're in and of course by the candles we're holding gradually everything gets brighter and brighter which I think is a beautiful ritual.
1: Because I'm old and wistful I definitely think back to that service as a kid and for it- having this, yeah, this really profound sense of something kind of magical happening, really. Again, another kind of favorite service for me right from when I was really young because it is, it's that, it's that progression of light coming into a space of darkness and for that light to kind of spread through the congregation and throughout the entire building among all the people who are gathered there. And it's it's this wonderful metaphor for really what happened with that first Easter, this idea of the message that Jesus has risen from the dead first comes to a few and then they share it with some more and they share it with some more. And, it, and, and that's how the message spreads in, into our life and our world.
0: Yeah. And I think let's talk about that Paschal candle, shall we? Because this is probably an opportune time. Uh, the Paschal candle is lit first from the fire. And that Paschal candle, I don't know if anyone's seen one before, but it's they're usually pretty large. Sometimes they are made from the melted down candles from the previous year that's been used in the church, the candles that have been burnt on the altar, uh, but not always. And the Paschal candle has a number of symbols on it that are quite classic that you would see. And of course, they vary from space to space a little bit. Uh, But the one thing you'll see on each Paschal candle is the year. So you'll see this year there was 2022 because it's 2022. And it's quite neat because you do get a candle for each year. And I remember, Richard, at an event recently you were sharing about how you brought out when you left one of your churches after being a vicar there for some time, all of the Paschal candles, right, from from each year that you've been there?
1: Yeah, it was quite a nice thing to do. So because I've been in that community for 10 years, we had 10 Paschal candles. So in my final service in that community, we brought them all out and I talked a little bit about what they symbolised. And yes, they symbolised the passage of time, but actually They also symbolized the many, many baptisms that had happened in that time, the hundreds of funerals I had taken in that community, the numerous confirmations, and so on and so on. You know, that there were all of these different events that had taken place in that time. You know, there had been 10 church fairs. I mean, you name it countless hours of vestry meetings. All of these sorts of things were kind of embodied in that symbol, which was a nice connection. And it's about, again, Christ's presence in all of those things, because ultimately that's what the Paschal candle represents. Um, some would call it the Christ candle, and it is about that symbol of Christ's presence with us.
0: Yeah, and that's a good place to, to explore the Paschal candle more, because I noticed the first thing you mentioned was all of the baptisms and funerals. Uh, and of course, the Paschal candle is lit uh, at those moments in any time in the church year, uh, when there is a baptism or a funeral. And so, of course, the Paschal candle is lit at Easter, and then it continues to burn through all of our services through Easter. But the Paschal candle isn't, you know, chucked out after that or or not used again. Of course, it's, it's brought out uh, at these big moments of remembrance in the year. And that is what makes the Paschal candle quite special, because it does mark all of these wonderful occasions that we share as the body of Christ. So let's talk a little bit about the other symbols that are on the candle. Uh, I think generally there is a cross that forms the center of this image, but there's also a couple of letters as well, uh, Greek letters, and they represent the alpha and the omega, which of course means the beginning and the end. You know, what, what does that mean for you, Richard, when you look at the Paschal candle and see those symbols?
1: Well, it is, it's lots of things, isn't it? It's The the light itself is a reminder of Christ's presence, of the light that was, you know, that that humanity tried to extinguish but comes back into the world. It's the light that cannot be extinguished, uh, that continues to shine in the darkness. So I quite like that aspect of it. The Alpha and the Omega being um, the beginning and the end, meaning Christ is present with all of us from the beginning of creation to its very end. And, of course, the cross is, you know, very much tied to the the moment of crucifixion, but again, it's an empty cross. It's a cross that doesn't have a body on it, which is again is important because it's reminding us that uh, even though Christ was crucified, he is no longer upon that cross. He has risen.
0: And there's another thing that happens as well, isn't there, with the cross? Right. So there's usually uh, a little liturgy that's wrapped around placing what looks like four pins into each end of the cross, and If your church manages this, uh, those pins often have incense inside as well, and there's a liturgy that's spoken as those pins are entered into the Paschal candle, and they don't come out again, and the community says this together. So that's another piece of the liturgy that's wrapped around the Paschal candle.
1: So there are five of them, and that represents the five wounds of Christ. So and people go, oh, five wounds. Hang on, and it's like, well, think about it. There's a, a, a nail in each uh, of his feet, each of his hands, but then the fifth wound uh, is the moment where the spear is put into his side to essentially check whether he's dead or not.
0: I don't know why there's incense. Is that to represent the the body, like being preserved?
1: Look, again, this this might be in Richard's apology section in the next podcast for things I got wrong, which incidentally, we need to come back to because I need to apologize for a mistake I made in the last podcast. (laughs) So at the risk of uh, opening up in another Richard's apology corner, what I think the incense in these nails that are included on the cross is about is. It's connecting with that idea of when Jesus died and was placed into the tomb, we're told the next morning that women, friends, came and what we believe they were going to do is this traditional Jewish practice of wrapping a body, of wrapping it in herbs and preparing it for its final resting, as it were. So it's kind of like embalming. And so I think the incense is that connection with the herbs, the things that they would have wrapped around a body, essentially to deal with the bad smell around a, around a decomposing body. Incense is used in the church for a whole lot of things as well, right? So that when we burn it, it's this depiction of, of prayer. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a way we engage our senses. So, and, and, and it's a way often, incense particularly, is around showing that something is holy. So even though we're not burning the incense that's placed upon a Paschal candle, it is still again sort of denoting that thing of this this object embodies holiness.
0: Yes. And when I was at the Great Easter Vigil this year, I we had a thurible and that had incense in it as well. Very similar probably to what was applied to the Paschal Candle. And you're right, that the wafting of that incense, the smoke that rises up, has so many meanings in and of itself. Like you say, depicting of holiness, but also the sense of our prayers rising up to God.
1: So when I was a training priest, I worked with uh, a very Anglo-Catholic priest, Father Des Britton, and one of the things he said to me one time about incense, is he said, I love it. I walk into church and that smell, it fills my nostrils and I just say, ah, the smell of God. And I like that. Uh, and and ever since he said that to me, that's what I think. When I smell incense, I'm like, yes, this is the smell of God.
0: It is. I've got a good story about that too. I Well, you can be the judge of that. But I love that smell so much and associate it with worship and prayer to such a degree that I actually purchased my own tabletop thurible <laughs> for my own home. Because for me, it's, you know, the church building, of course, is a place of worship and prayer. But for me, it shouldn't just be locked into the church, you know. And and for me, buying that tabletop thurible and having it in my home is a way of bringing that that sense and that longing as well for prayer and worship into my home space. Yeah. So I personally love that smell as well. I've it's got so many memories for me that have wound up into not only this kind of service like the greatest vigil, but many many services where I've experienced in the liturgy a profound sense of God's presence and sense of god at work in the community so it is an incredibly powerful smell for me
1: this podcast has been brought to you by three kings frankincense for burning in your home terrible <laughs> i said we wouldn't accept promotions for this podcast but there you go a shout out to uh, all the incense providers because look i'll be honest i'm an incense nerd too so i have a number of incense burners and yeah similarly really love it find it enhances my prayer life so uh, something I enjoy.
0: So there you go. If you don't have, you know, respiratory issues that would be bothered by such a scent in your home.
1: Or smoke alarms, I hate to say. is The thing that keeps me from using more incense in my present home environment. <laughs> I'm not popular when I say <laughs> that for smoke detectors.
0: <laughs> oh, I could tell you many stories about churches where the smoke alarm's gone off, but that's a whole other story. Okay, so let's continue. Easter, we've talked about the Great Easter Vigil, and then of course we will move into Easter. It's still Easter Day, but the, the the morning service, I guess. Another thing that happens at these services is that we reaffirm our baptismal vows.
1: This is one of the traditional times where we reaffirm our baptismal commitment, uh, which I personally find is a really nice thing to do because. I, have, of course, have no memory of being baptized because I was only four weeks old when I was baptized. Again, we won't get into a big debate around the merits of infant baptism or not, but I find uh, this renewal is a really neat thing to do because it's a way of me kind of claiming those promises for myself on a on a yearly basis. And the nice thing is, is that we do it in a fun way as well, where we do this thing which is called asperging the congregation. Have you ever asperged a congregation, Sarah?
0: I have. And it is quite an experience and an art, I would say, in the sense that it involves water and it involves spraying people with water. And in a liturgical setting, that can be quite unpredictable. So we have a bowl of holy water, water that's been blessed from the font and put into this bowl. And then the priest or deacon usually walks around the congregation with this bowl and dips in the aspergillum and then lifts it out and sprinkles the congregation while saying a bunch of words. So We say something like, remember your baptism and be thankful. We can correct that in the next podcast if we get that wrong. But the art form part comes in in the sense that sometimes when we sprinkle the congregation, we can get a bit overexcited, or you might accidentally hit one person and drench them more than the those surrounding i know a couple of times i've had i've been asperged and the water has gone directly in my face and has required me to take off my glasses and wipe them down Um, so it can be quite quite an art form to get that right Uh, but also people don't always just use an aspergillum they often might use a branch or a piece of foliage as well that is actually a gentler alternative as well you don't get as much heavy spray with with that option I found
1: all of this talk is reminding me of a time in my previous congregation where as I was walking up the aisle as spurging the congregation and I heard a voice uh, of a woman behind me say I I got hardly any and so I turn around and really kapowder her with <laughs> with the baptism water and it was hilarious because her response was she just grinned from ear to ear because she was so pleased she had I had heard her and responded in this way (laughs) I'm glad it went down so well
0: but I kind of love it my kids love it too you know they love being sprayed so they'll get right up close and make sure they get a good dollop but yeah that is another one of the traditions that we weave into our Easter's Day services But I think it is important to touch on the fact that we're talking about Easter Day a lot, but the season of Easter is not just one day, is it?
1: No, it's lots more than one. (laughs) (laughs) It's for sure.
0: And I think that can connect to a video that we've actually just released on the liturgical calendar, because we do mention this in the video, that actually a lot of these seasons they're not just one day and you know often people might think Christmas Day and Easter Day are just one day in the liturgical calendar but they're not they're they're quite long and of course we know that because we're filming this we're recording this podcast now and we are nearly 6 weeks into Easter.
1: Yeah, so Easter is 50 days in length which takes us right through to the day of Pentecost. So quite a long season. In the life cycle of the church, and that entire time uh, is spent really reflecting on the resurrection and the different resurrection narratives uh, that are found in the Bible and what they might mean for us now. Um, so, given that this is sort of the major event that really creates Christianity as a religion, this is uh, such a central part of the Christian story: is that Jesus rose from the dead. We do spend a lot of time with that part of the story before, as I say, we get to Pentecost and then we're into the season called Ordinary Time, uh, where we really focus on kind of the teaching of Jesus from mid-June to right through to the, the end of the liturgical year, which is the end of November. I've learned all of this from our video.
0: It's <laughs> a good plug. It's a good plug for the video. <laughs> the Easter season, of course, is not, as you said, just the moment, right, of Jesus' resurrection. Because it carries us through to Pentecost, the biblical narrative is really looking into Jesus' time after the the resurrection until his ascension and a little bit further, right? Uh, So it's really discussing that whole narrative of Jesus reappearing to the disciples. He had a lot of good stuff to say. There was definitely some stuff that happened that was quite important before his ascension. So all of that season of Easter is is looking into that whole narrative as well.
1: So Sarah, I know that one of the ways that the Ordinary Saints community has marked this season of Easter was when we gathered earlier this week, we did some work around Paschal candles.
0: Yes, we did. And of course, we didn't Paint or produce paschal candles because that is something that we talked about as well, and that the paschal candle is something that happens in the context of a community for a congregation. Uh, but we did learn about the paschal candle a bit, and then we also did some painting of Easter candles. Now, that is something that we've done for us to use at home, so a devotional candle throughout the season of Easter and leading us into Pentecost. So that was quite fun. We looked at some Easter symbols and decide what we might do. And Richard, you were pretty uh, enthusiastic with your flames on your candle. I really appreciated those.
1: <laughs> with my, my limited artistic ability, <laughs> I decided to put flames on a candle.
0: It's great. The irony it's wonderful. Yeah, we had flames, we had doves, we had crosses, we had um, leaves, flowers, And one person actually carved, Elizabeth carved a cross into her candle without any paint and it was, it looks fantastic. So we had some discussions around that and and then of course we ended with night prayer. But yes, it was a way of us to plug into the season that we're currently in. We had some discussions as well about the liturgical calendar video that we just released because it is understandable, right, that Easter is understood to be kind of a one-off event, a one-day thing. And so it was quite good to talk a little bit about that season and why we have that season, as we have in this podcast.
1: I think you took some pictures of the various candles. Are we going to be able to see them on on the various social media accounts at some stage.
0: Yeah, I'll plug some up. Yeah, and you'll be able to see them for yourself.
1: So just to remind everyone, we have uh, an Instagram account and a Facebook account, and all those links are always on the podcast. So if you do want to connect with us in that way, just check out the links that accompany this podcast and you can follow
0: along we'll also drop a link to the latest video that we produced about the liturgical calendar uh, so you can have a look at that if you want to as well and if you have any questions or additional comments or thoughts please email them through to us and we will pick them up on our next podcast and the email address is ordinary saints podcast at gmail.com so thanks everyone for coming along with us as we talk about easter it's been lovely to be with you and we will catch you at the next podcast Hallelujah.